Are you an early stage founder looking to grow your SaaS? The SaaS Doc Founder Membership is a private community of ambitious SaaS founders where you can get a support network of peers, connect with like-minded founders around the globe, and learn proven strategies from industry experts to help you scale up your SaaS. If you want to get access to peer groups, investor meetings, mentor hours, and more to help you scale faster together, then visit sasdoccom forward slash founder hyphen membership to apply, or just go to sasdoccom and go up to the header menu and click on memberships. And if in your application form, if it's right for you, mention the SAS Revolution show to apply for an exclusive discount. Find your SAS tribe and thrive with the SASDOC founder membership. At SASDOC EMEA this October 12 to 14, over 3,000 SAS founders, CEOs, and execs just like you will come together and leave equipped to scale. We've built a curated agenda of actionable content and networking opportunities to help you hear the growth stories, learn the proven strategies, and meet the right people to scale your SaaS. Join this growth-focused conference for SaaS founders and their teams on the journey to 10 million ARR this October. Get your free ticket by visiting sasdoc.com forward slash EMEA. Imagine if all your customers paid up front the moment you signed a contract. What would it mean for you? Capchase helps fast-growing recurring revenue companies finance growth without taking on debt or dilution. Whether you want to invest in growth or R&D, Capchase turns your predictable revenue into growth capital today. Capchase has helped founders unlock hundreds of millions in financing to fuel their growth, on average extend their runway by eight months and spared upwards of 16% dilution. See how insanely easy it is by clicking the link in the show notes or going to capchase.com forward slash sasdoc to learn more. We have used the customer interaction and the customer feedback to really be our guide as to when we moved from purely product-led growth into the combination of uh, bottoms up and top down. So listening to your customers is, you know, a really important factor in designing this, frankly, I think. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the SaaS Revolution show brought to you by SaaStock, the conference that helps SaaS companies get traction, growth and scale. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and I'll be looking at what it really takes to build and grow a SaaS company today and how founders and entrepreneurs stay healthy on the journey. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, Bernadette Nixon, CEO of Algolia. Welcome, Bernadette. Great to be here, Alex. Thanks. Good to have you here. And uh, wh- where is here? Because I was expecting a, a Boston accent and, you know, you being in, in, in Boston or in San Francisco. Um, but uh, I, I had a, a pleasant surprise that, um, you, you know, and not to say that there's anything wrong if you didn't, if you weren't in Boston, but uh, where, whereabouts are you and where are you from? So I'm um, originally from England, but been living in the States for over 20 years now, but I'm doing the uh, the podcast today from Paris. Oh, very nice. Very nice. It's a nice, uh, nice mix there. Um, yeah, have uh, uh, you know, fond memories of uh, SASDOC events in, in, in Paris, but, it, but it's been a while. Uh, hopefully we'll be picking those, uh, those up soon. So Paris, are you at the Algodio office? We have our headquarters are in San Francisco, but we also have a large presence here in Paris. Yeah. Okay. Very, 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 very cool. And so, Bernadette, you mentioned that you're 
uh, originally from England, been in the US uh, for 20 years. Tell us a little bit more about yourself, you know, uh, as a person, your journey to being a CEO, how you ended up in the US uh, and why, why you've been living there uh, for 20 years. Sure. I, I was. I went from Switzerland to the US. So I was working. I'd, I'd always been in sales and commercial side of things in the UK, but moved to Switzerland and uh, a career change, if you like, working for the United Nations um, for their IT shop and decided wanted to get back to my passion and went to America to do it. So came up through the ranks on the go to market side of the house. Uh, and then in the latter years, really became involved with products and product strategy. And so it was just a natural sort of evolution going into the into the CEO role, which I love because of the impact that you can have, mainly on, on people, uh, both within your company, but also at your customers and partners. So, and that, I guess that's sort of one of my hallmarks. Everybody does the job differently, but that outside in perspective in doing the role is, is great. So in the last two weeks, I've seen probably almost 10 customers, partners, prospects. Uh, it's been fabulous being back on the road again. Good stuff. Uh, yeah. And uh, I mean, great. I love speaking to customers, love being on the road, but uh, you know, again, uh, uh, for, for, for 18 months have, have pretty much been not just in this room, but, uh, you, you know, there hasn't been, you know, a, as much travel. But uh, I think, uh, like, like we mentioned before we started recording, you know, things are starting to get a little bit back mm -hmm. to normal. And, uh, you, you know, I'm very glad to kind of uh, uh, see that and, you know, the horizon of like normality, you know, coming back. Um, and uh, But do you think, actually, just on that point, um, and I, I don't know, because like certainly for me, um, uh, you know, I was speaking to your, your, your comms uh, to the team like before, like, you know, I used to spend a lot of time on the plane and uh, I think, you know, John um, uh, from your team mentioned similarly, he was on the plane perhaps like every week. Um, do you foresee that, uh, and I don't know if your life was like that, but you will be doing as much travel or would you want to be doing as much travel, uh, you know, uh, in, in the near future? Probably not. I mean, prior to COVID, I was probably on the road at least 45 weeks out of the year, if not more, some some years. Um, and I can't see us getting back to that. Uh, in fact, I was speaking to our co-founder, Julien Lemoyne, this morning, and, you know, he's been in the office all this week. But he said, we definitely need a hybrid because, you know, you're so much more productive. You know, you don't have that commute time. So I, I do think the hybrid, you know, sometimes in the office and um, often at home is really the future. What is it? What is it? If, if you're on the road 45 uh, weeks a year and you're married, what is the secret <laughs> to keeping the relationship uh, going, because uh, I can imagine, obviously, like, depending on the spouse, you, you know, they might not be uh, uh, the, the happiest. But um, what, what's, the, what's your secret? Uh, our secret was having a spouse that traveled pretty much as much. All right. <laughs> and <laughs> we occasionally met, met up in, you know, different cities that we would find ourselves in. So, um, you know, but funnily enough, we were happiest together. So COVID yeah. has actually been lovely. Good stuff, but good, good to hear. And so you're CEO of Algolia. How, how long have you been uh, with Algolia for? I joined in May of last year, so right slap bang in the middle of the pandemic. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, interesting times to, to join. How did you feel about that and joining just as the world was kind of coming into all this fear, uncertainty and doubt? I mean, you know, you, you, it was the start of new patterns, really. I mean, I could never have imagined taking a position and certainly not a CEO position without having met, you know, the whole board and the exec team. And, and none of that happened. It was all over Zoom. So, I mean, it really was the start of new patterns. But in some respects, the, we got a bonus out of um, the, the, the environment insofar as, 
you know, me introducing myself to the whole team, I did it via Zoom. I wasn't in front of, you know, in the team in San Francisco or in Paris or London or wherever. So it was a level playing field for everybody. So there were some bonuses, although it was certainly very strange. And, and why, why did you join uh, Algolia? You know, what was it about the company, the opportunity that made you want to join? Um, yeah, really kind of curious to know. Sure. So I've got a fair bit of experience in the search market, if you like, from both uh, ends of our competitive set. On the one hand, it's, you know, purpose-built SaaS apps to solve one customer problem. And on the other, it's open source that can solve a plethora of problems. We're neither one of those because they, the, they have the benefits, but they have significant drawbacks, in my opinion. We're neither one. We are an API-first product, an API-first company, which means certain things. And certainly APIs are nothing new. REST APIs have been around for years. But to have a product that is an API-first product is very different. We take on all of the backward compatibility issues. So you never have to change your app if we change, which we do frequently, our API. You never have to change it. We build the speed in. We build the performance in. We have you know, amazing documentation so you can get it to do what you want it to do. So I, I, you know, having experience at both ends of our competitive set, the, I truly believed in the positioning that Algolia had adopted right from day one with the API first approach. And now, you know, now it's sort of hit mainstream, you know, back when Algolia was formed, it wasn't mainstream. So there was great foresight and uh, innovation with the team. And those are qualities that we still retain today. So it's really all of that that, that attracted me to the, to the team and the company. And how, how does it work? Was it uh, like Nicholas Design, who was the, um, you know, or still is co-founder and uh, former CEO, uh, is it Nicholas kind of reaching out, getting recommendations of finding like Bernadette is the best person to, you know, replace me? Or does it come from the board or the investors or, or a bit of both? It's different in, in every situation. Uh, in this situation, uh, Nico, after he had finished doing the C round, um, took, you know, a, you know, a, well-deserved deep breath and figured out that he wanted to hand the reins over because he felt that having um, a more commercial uh, CEO was the right thing for the company for the next phase that it was about to enter. And so therefore he started to search. And the beauty of that is that, you know, I, I, I say I have been blessed with my co-founders. So Julien Lemoyne is uh, in the company, he's still my CTO. Um, Nico is on the board. And they're a dream to work with. It's not always like that. And you often only hear the nightmares, you know, those nightmare stories. But I got really, really lucky. And all three of us work incredibly well together. Fantastic. Well, uh, in uh, in a couple of weeks' time, uh, October the, the 12th or the 13th, that you're speaking at SAS.EMEA uh, online. And you'll be in conversation with Philippe Bateri uh, at Excel, one of Algolia's uh, investors. And a longtime friend of uh, of Sastock, uh, as are Algolia, uh, actually, um, and uh, really excited for that. Um, and uh, today, I think you know we're going to be touching on a couple of the things that you might be uh, discussing a bit more, like in detail uh, uh, with Philippe. Uh, but yeah, we really wanted to like look at the topic of combining top down and the bottoms up sales motion uh, in the most efficient way. So, you, you happy to get into it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's jump in. Let's do it. So um, in what scenario uh, should a company use a top-down strategy? I would say it's when you have um, complex product, multiple stakeholders, um, complex integrations. And as a result of all of those, 
quite often you also have a reliance upon a systems integration community to help customers to be able to implement and get the most out of your product. If those are the characteristics of of your product, then a top-down, often referred to as an enterprise approach, is absolutely applicable. I'd say the other thing that plays into this is, you know, when you've, you know, got very high ticket prices, so a high average selling price. And the reason that that comes into play is because of human behavior. When you think about it, if you're making a small purchase, you know yourself, um, you, you, you know, it's a no brainer or you're motivated by the gain that you could get either in business benefits or in, in terms of personal development and growth. Whereas when you're making a significant purchase, purchase, it's it's often not motivated by the gain. It's motivated more by fear and risk mitigation because it's a significant purchase. You know, when you buy a house yourself or, or, or anything like that. So, you know, as you get into those big ERP systems and, and that sort of stuff, then, you know, it's you, you know, you're naturally going to be adopting a top-down sales approach. What about on the on the flip side then? Like, you know, what scenarios should the companies use the bottoms up strategy? Yeah, and there's a lot of um, terms that often get used interchangeably here. So bottoms up, it could be you know people refer to it as self service. They might refer to it as freemium or PLG, which is product led growth. But essentially, in order for you to have a successful bottoms up uh, strategy, you need to have an incredible product and an incredible product that delivers on the value that you promise, that brand promise to your customers in a way that um, somebody is able to pick it up and get value out of it without having to have that services team be their guide. So often those types of products appeal to developers and they're able to get going and really be, you know, you know, smart and um, creative with your, your products very quickly out of the gate. And if that is the case, I would say that's table stakes. And in order to then sort of dig under the surface a little bit more, you've got to have great documentation. Because think about it, you're expecting them to be to, to be self-service customers. So you've got to have great documentation that enables them to um, create what you're what they're looking to do. Um, it's got to be ease of use. You've got to have, I think, for your own business growth um, plans, you've also got to have the one version. So it doesn't matter whether somebody's coming on with a freemium or a pay-as-you-go model, but they can graduate up to it's, you know, proliferating throughout a, an organization. And so that's really, you know, another, another great thing. And, you know, in the B2B space, I think Forrester had the stat that, you know, almost 75% of business to business buyers now would rather self-educate by an app online and, you know, self-serve than speak with a salesperson. Yeah, no, no, definitely. And uh, good, good uh, uh, sort of stats there to refer to. But when, when should you consider using both? Is there a specific stage and like what examples? And uh, I guess it, like Algolia as well, like, you know, do you, do you use both uh, approaches? We do. Um, but the answer to your question is it depends like a lot of things in life. So I'll maybe sort of give a couple of examples to make that come alive. I mean, Twilio, for example, you know, API first product, fantastic company. Um, you know, Jeff's book, you know, Ask Your Developer is sort of a staple in the environment now. 
you know, they didn't go hardcore tops down. I mean, they still have the a very vibrant, you know, massive product-led bottoms-up growth business to this day, but they didn't layer into that, the top-down model in a significant way until after they'd gone public. Um, whereas uh, on the other hand, um, you know, you for somebody like us, for example, we actually augmented our product-led growth strategy pretty early on. And part of the reason for that was because um, there were multiple stakeholders, some of whom were in the business uh, side of things, as opposed to purely a developer, that would get involved. So it really does depend upon uh, your product and you know the characteristics of how somebody gets started with it and then how it proliferates through an organization. So Algadi has been uh, using both uh, from the beginning, uh, like uh, that's been baked into the product from uh, from the get-go. Yes, I mean, when we did, when, when we decided, when we were originally designing our product, we designed it for product-led growth, which meant that we also made a decision that we wanted somebody to be able to get started with it, deliver value, for their organization or themselves without the need for services. So there had to be that self-service capability. And with every single product we now introduce to the market, because we've now become a multi-product company, that you know we, we stay true to that original design principle. How have you managed to combine both sales motions like efficiently? Um, you know, do you have any examples there, case studies that you, you could share? Yes. So there's there's a whole bunch. Um, so, I mean, right now we have over 10,000 customers. So we wouldn't have gotten to that level and that number if we hadn't have had our product-led growth uh, strategy. Um, we find that a lot of it, you need to be guided by the customer. So some people want to um, start using a freemium or they want to swipe their credit card and start on your paygo plans and they want to you know self-serve themselves even to the extent where um, they have some quite significant um, bills each month or you know occasionally you know every other month they might have depending upon their business cycle they might have some significant um, increases in costs that way. But if they don't, if they're getting started or they don't have predictability, they're experimenting, then that's a great way for them to get started. And so you want them to be able to interact with you in the way that they want to. Um, but as, as, as these products get proliferated across organizations, then, you know, other people come into the mix, managers, leaders come into the mix and procurement gets involved and they want to make sure that the company is certainly getting a, 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 good, uh, a good deal. And so at that point, they may want to interact with you directly. Or it could be that as they get more sophisticated with your products, there may be some enterprise only capabilities or service level agreements that are um, uh, to certain uh, types of companies or government agencies become really, really important. And therefore, that's how they mitigate their risk. And so therefore, they want to interact with you. Um, or sometimes they, their usage just grows to a certain extent that they want to get a better deal um, than they can get through self-service on a website. So really, we have used the customer interaction and the customer feedback to really be our guide as to when we moved from purely product-led growth into the combination of uh, bottoms up and top down. So listening to your customers 
is, you know, a really important factor in designing this, frankly, I think. No, 100%. And, you, you know, I think, like, recently, Sastock, we, we've been doing, uh, like, a ton of customer calls. Uh, in fact, we made it our quarterly theme uh, um, uh, for, for this quarter. And, you, you know, just sometimes you just kind of forget, like, how important it is to do that and just the great kind of inputs that you get, which really kind of help shape the products yeah. and the product that they want to use. I would say there's another element as well, which is as your product, you know, if you think about the journey from startup to scale up to public company, as your product matures, you know, in your earlier days and, and indeed as you continually go along, you know, for us indeed anyway, you know, you appeal to the innovators, the early adopters, and those guys don't want everything neatly packaged. They want to be able to tinker with it and figure it out. Whereas when you do cross that chasm and you start targeting the early majority, you'll find that those customers want and expect to interact with you in a very different way. And so sometimes it's um, customers buying characteristics that you need to listen to, but the other is in crossing that chasm, you will find that the early majority really want some handholding that you didn't have to do in the early days. And so now, even though we designed our product and our company with, you didn't need any services to get going, we find those companies in that early majority, they want some handholding. Because this may be, you know, we're a disruptive technology and therefore they want somebody who's been there before and done it to, to help guide them, whether that's us or a partner. So now we have a very small um, services capability to be able to be the experts to help guide <clears throat> our customers. So it could either be, you know, it's still market dynamics. It's just a different segment of the market. And therefore, if, if you find that you're going after those often larger companies, more mature companies, because they want a more mature product, then you'll find you have to change what you're offering or how you're offering it in order to be able to appeal to them. Well, I, I believe with your talk with uh, uh, Philippe uh, at SASA Premier Online, you, you know, you, you'll partially be, uh, you, you know, digging into this topic. And so we don't want to give too much away uh, now to the, the audience that's listening. So, I mean, of course, they uh, should tune in to Sasa Premier uh, on, online and, and, and to your talk uh, uh, with Philippe, uh, it, it'll be a great event. So uh, really kind of looking forward to that. Um, so from the uh, that, this point of the, uh, the the conversation around top down and bottom up, we'll we'll, we'll leave that there. Uh, but I've got a couple more questions uh, really to, uh, to to ask you and um, you know, hopefully fairly uh, uh, straightforward. So I just sort of curious to know, um, you know, as I often ask our guests, you know, what is your favorite business book uh, uh, so um, of all time, uh, and also what are you currently uh, reading? Uh, probably more around business, but it could be uh, non-business also. Sure. The my One of my all-time favorite books is called Execution, The Discipline of Getting Things Done. And it was by Larry Bosidi and Ram uh, Charan. And it was really about, you can have a great strategy, but if you're not able to bring it alive by executing, and obviously you need the right team, and there's a whole host of things that go into that, but it gets really practical in terms of looking at your annual calendar and what you should be thinking about when. And I would, <clears throat> I read it many years ago uh, as I was sort of going up in my career, you know, from sort of second to third level manager. And, and it was phenomenal because it gave me, I mean, I didn't stick to it directly, but it gave me some really cool practical tips and it just helped guide me. So that's one of my all-time favorites. And right now, 
um, I'm listening to, because I, I listen to a whole bunch of books on Audible as well as read them, but I'm listening to No Rules, and that's Netflix and the Culture of Reinvention by Reed yep. Hastings and Aaron, Aaron Mayer. So that's phenomenal because there are certain things that, you know, you, you know, exist in, in the tech environment today. And um, it gives you a, just sometimes a different vantage point to look at some of those. So I often make notes as I'm reading or listening to a book and um, then figure out what I'll, uh, what I'll take and what I'll implement as a result. Yeah, no, definitely. I, uh, the first for execution, uh, never heard of it, but uh, that's great. I love to kind of, you know, get a new tip. So, We'll definitely be uh, looking that up. No rules, rules. Read that earlier this year, and then kind of uh, tried to do a bit of you know a mini book club uh, within Sastoff when we spoke about this, and to see you know what things could we implement uh, from this. And it was super interesting. A lot of contrarian uh, viewpoints that Reed uh, you, you know kind of has and the, the culture there, um, but definitely some things that we kind of uh, would be keen to kind of bring into Sastoff. Still uh, uh, haven't done. Uh, sort of fully yet, but a great book. Um, so definitely, uh, you know, strong recommendation and look forward to reading execution. So uh, a great, uh, totally agree with you. You can have a great strategy and, you know, spend all the time on that. But if you don't execute, you know, you're not going to get anywhere. Um, uh, and what's the best bit of advice sort of given to you uh, as a CEO or best lesson learned that you could share uh, with the audience? Probably a couple of things. Um, one is hiring for stage-specific experience. So you're hiring for skills and you're hiring for cultural fit. Those two, you know, are, are obvious and, and table stakes. But sometimes it's not obvious for the stage specific experience. For example, you, you might be a startup and you, you're growing rapidly and you bring somebody in from a great blue chip, you know, name in your industry and you expect them to you know, know the roadmap of how you fully get from point A to point B. But the reality is that sometimes they've seen what great looks like, but they haven't been the architect of the journey of how, you know, how that organization got to great. So therefore, you know, when you're in a startup or in a scale up like we are right now, you've got to have people that not only have seen what great looks like for where you're headed, given your growth trajectory, but you also need the people that have ideally not just seen the journey, but been part of architecting that journey so that they know, uh, I, I took too big of a jump there. I need to take two steps back and redo that. When they do it for you, they're not going to take too big of a jump and take two steps back. They probably will on something else, but they won't make the same mistake twice. So I think hiring for stage specific experience is absolutely critical. And I'm not saying you have to wipe out everybody you've got and replace them with, with, with people like that. You need a blend, as in, you know, most things in life, you need a blend. So that'd be one. The second one would be pick your North Star metrics and be um, maniacal about them. Good advice there. On the, on the hiring one, so say, and, um, and, and I think I don't know what the, the answer would be, but you're at 1 million in revenue, you want to get to 10 million in revenue. Uh, you're hiring uh, your uh, sales candidates, uh, for that, uh, do you then look for somebody? Uh, is the or is the ideal candidate the one that has architected that uh, one to ten journey before, uh, over and above somebody that hasn't done that, but you know seems to have like the potential or the capability to potentially do that? Um, so it, it, it's going to be an advantage if you've done that already. Is that your preference? 
100%. I mean, in any company that is growing fast, you need builders, you need people that have not just lived it at that stage, but they have built it to that stage and beyond. That's the ideal, in my opinion. It's all opinion, but that's mine. Yeah. Um, and then, so you're speaking at Sasso Camilla, uh, as we mentioned, next month uh, with Philippe. Um, uh, can you give a sort of insight into, you, you know, what you'll be speaking about uh, on the day? Sure. So a little bit of what we've touched on today. So the tops down, bottoms up models, when to use them, um, how to build a community around freemium, because uh, there's so many ancillary benefits when you get to doing that. But also, you know, more on the sort of the left brain side of things, which is, you know, what do you know, if you're able to blend both of those, what advantage does it give you? And where can people find you online, uh, Bernadette? Well, you can find um, me at algolia.com, as well as LinkedIn, Bernadette Nixon, and uh, BV Nixon on Twitter. Well, thank you so much uh, for taking the time out today um, and sharing with the the SaaSDoc audience uh, on the SaaS Revolution show. Really looking forward to uh, your talk at at SaaSDoc EMEA um, uh, next month. Um, And enjoy the rest of your time in Paris when you're heading back to the US. Head back home on Friday. Good stuff. Looking forward to it. Thank you. We'll take care. Thanks very much for having me, Alex. Thanks, Bernadette. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the SaaS Revolution Show. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you learned something from it, check out sasdoc.com forward slash events to find all the upcoming SaaSDoc conferences around the world.